Uh, We are now, after Easter, working through what we're calling a post-Easter reaction show. Uh, Most every important event that happens, especially uh, a big athletic event, championship, whatever that may be, there is a post-show, there's a reaction show, and we're taking a look now at what is our response to Easter day, especially Easter afternoon. As people began to walk and talk and experience, eat with, hang out with Jesus. And last week we looked at how that redefined our faith. How faith is not blind faith. Faith is not hoping and wishing and trusting in something that is out there, eventual, hopefully it'll show up. But that faith now is faith in something that actually happened in the appearance of an actual person. That God raised up his son from the dead and Jesus spent time with us. And so now we're believing in a historical event and something that actually did happen and not just something we're hoping eventually is going to get here. But we're going to move on now to something else that I want to share with you today, and that is the redefinition of what is possible. Easter morning, especially afternoon, redefined possible. Up until that point, God's people had hoped And they had been given some indicators that perhaps everything was on the table as possibly God was about to move and send the Savior. But those hopes were thrown away when Jesus died. For 33 years prior to that, people had thought, well, maybe. And we started off with this story that many of them had heard that Mary supposedly had never been with Joseph and yet she gave birth to this child, this miracle baby. And some had to figure out, am I going to believe that or am I not? There were rumors. They weren't really widespread because who knew this little family in the middle of nowhere that was in Bethlehem and then went away for a while and then came back and then Jesus grew up in Nazareth and very little was happening there. But when Jesus was 30, this young man began to go public And he began to talk and teach in a way that no one else had heard anyone talk or teach. And he began to heal. And miracle after miracle after miracle, stacking up moment after moment, people began to think, is it possible that everything is possible here? That maybe there was someone who was divinely sent, that God finally did send his chosen one, and now it's being revealed. And they saw the miracles, they heard the teaching, they saw how different Jesus was, and there was this possibility that maybe everything was now possible. If he could do this, he could do anything. And then Jesus died, and his followers thought, well, I guess everything is not possible. We had hoped, but now he's gone. So three days later, when God raised up his son and Jesus began to say, hey, what's going on, guys? What are you talking about? Where are you going? Do you want to have a meal together? Do you want to see my hands? Do you want to see the scars? Everything changed. And from that point forward, everything was back on the table. Now everything was possible. But not just for Jesus, but also for those who claimed to follow him. Because Jesus had said, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move this mountain. I'm telling you, I did great things. You watched me do great things, but you'll do even greater things after I'm gone. And and so now they're trying to process all of this information, all these teachings through this resurrection. So if that's the case, then if everything was possible for him, he's the one we're following. These are the things he said for us, then everything is possible for us. So that leads me to the question that I want us to think on for a moment as we react to Easter. 
God can do that. So why won't he do this? God can do that. He can raise the dead. He can defeat the ultimate enemy. So why can't he, won't he, will he do this? He can raise the dead and all I'm asking is that he not allow me to fail this exam. Like, is that really that hard for God to do? If he can do all things, a simple prayer from a humble person saying, help me to remember something I didn't study. Like, why is that so hard? That is not a challenge. And all of us know what that's like to be on the outside of an office. We've been called in with an appointment with the supervisor or boss, and we're thinking, Lord, no, 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 no. I, I need one more chance, one more chance, one more chance. And then God didn't answer that prayer. Or we sat in front of a doctor, and the doctor said, this is the diagnosis. And we said, that's okay. I'm a follower of Jesus. It's gonna be all right. My God can, my God can, my God can. And then on into the story, it appeared that just God just wasn't going to. So God can do that, but why won't he do this? If everything is possible, then why aren't my impossibilities seemingly coming possible before my own eyes, just as it was then? So what I want us to do is to take a look at three moments in Jesus' time on earth and just ask the question, why? God can do that, so why won't he do this? The first one we're gonna find is in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. So if you're new to the Bible, um, Bible's broken up into two parts. In the New Testament, we have four stories about Jesus, the four gospels in the beginning, and Matthew is that first one. And in chapter 13, we find Jesus returning to his home area after having some time, not a ton of time, but some time away teaching and healing and, and getting his disciples together. So now he goes back home. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 53, it says, when Jesus had finished these parables, so this teaching time he had, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. The first possibility as to why we're not seeing everything become possible around us is the possibility of disbelief. He said he did not do more miracles there because of their lack of faith. Now, they saw miracles happen. They did not deny the miracles. No one looked and said, that's a trick, that's a magic show, that's not what that is. They saw that Jesus could do miraculous things. They were impressed by his wisdom and how he could teach, how he could take the Old Testament scriptures and explain them in a way that they had never been told before. Now, all that was real, they could not deny it. They were not lacking belief in what he was doing. They were lacking belief, rather, in who he was. Their struggle was not, I don't think he can do that. Their struggle was, I don't think he is that. It was less about what he could do and more about 
who he was. It was not about belief about him, it was belief actually in him. And as we read there, the people around looked and said, isn't that Joe's boy? Like, what are we doing here? Like, okay, did something pretty impressive, but Mary and Joseph, we know them. We know his brothers, we know his sisters. He mowed my grass when he was 14. Like, I know that guy. There's no way that he ought to have all these people around him having this rumor spread that he might be the one, the chosen one. We know who he is. They were so familiar with Jesus that they could not get beyond that familiarity to the point of perhaps believing in him to be who he said he was. There was way too much familiarity. And I bring that up because I think at times we could fall into that same thing. We get so comfortable and so familiar with Jesus that we've lost our awe of who he is. In fact, some of you debated, do I even come today or not? I mean, yeah, I could just go worship him next week with the people. Or I can, I can sing songs in my truck. I'll be just fine. Like, I can worship anywhere, so I don't have to be here. Or I'll show up late, or I'll leave early, or what's the, the big deal? We just begin to get really, really familiar with who he is, and we begin to lose that sense of awe. And we're a little underwhelmed at Jesus. In fact, if I had started today and said, I'm gonna tell you the story about a, man, about a man who got swallowed by a fish, most of you'd grab your phones and start scrolling because you know that one. Like you already, did, you already did that one, checked it off, you've already passed it, you've got it highlighted somewhere. You're just kind of over it. Oh yeah, I know that miracle. And we get over a lot of things and we have a familiarity that is borderline dangerous. And when you and I get to a point where we're underwhelmed with Jesus, we're gonna be overwhelmed with the problems that life gives us. But if we can put ourselves in a position where we are overwhelmed with who Jesus is, we're gonna be underwhelmed at all the mountains that the enemy throws around or the obstacles that we have in our lives. To get to a point where we're going, I know this seems really impossible and that's terrible and that breaks my heart and that's bad news, but I'm good because I know my God. I know who he is I've walked with Jesus. I know this is not going to scare him and I'm walking through this thing with confidence and boldness. But when you and I are underwhelmed with who Jesus is, we're going to be overwhelmed with the stuff that happens. And when we get overwhelmed, we begin to lose belief in who Jesus is and then we don't see those mountains moved. So when things are not happening around us the way we thought they might or hoped they would or in light of what Jesus can do, there's one possibility that it could be a lack of belief. Not in what we know about him, but in what we know about who he is in him. So disbelief. Well, I want us to get, take a look at the next one, and it's in John chapter 15. These are John's actual words. He's talking to his followers, his disciples. He's spending some time with them. There's not much time left before he's going to leave them. And he says, abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit uh, of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. You, or he who abides in me, I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, number one, we said abide more in the last 15 seconds than we've ever said in our entire lives. Uh, number two, I think the point is clear. Jesus says, you need to stay close because the moment you allow yourself to drift apart from me, the source of your power, you are going to lose your power and your possibilities with it. And most of the time when we drift, it's not purposeful. We just look up one day and wonder, how did we get so far apart? So this second possibility is the possibility of distance. There is simply distance between God and us now. And as a result, we are no longer connected to our source of all things possible and we're finding a lot of defeat around us because of it. But that distance is usually gradual and it's not purposeful. You just look up and wonder, how did you get so far away? When I was a teenager, my parents informed us that we were going to all go with our friends, go up to a chalet in Gatlinburg and hang out for the weekend or week or something like that. And there was going to be a caravan of cars going. I believe there were four families that were all headed up. We all had, they all had teenage age children. I was one of those teenagers. And we as a group of teenagers said, we don't really want to ride that far with our parents from Memphis to Gatlinburg. And so what if we take our own car? And in a lapse of judgment, my parents said, yeah, that seems good. And they decided we'll do that and I got tasked as the driver of the teenage car. I think my record was the cleanest, I guess. That was how we divvied that out. But I was going to drive the teenagers, and my parents and their friends would drive in one car. The other set of parents and their friends would be in another car, and I would ride in the middle as best as I can remember the story. So we were heading off to East Tennessee. I guess it was a five, six-hour drive, whatever that is. And uh, we were heading off. I had one job just to stay between the two cars. And I did well for a long time. With all that's going on with a bunch of 16-year-olds in a car, I mean, it took a little bit of maturity, and I'm proud to say I was able to do that. We got through Knoxville, and then my dad, who driving is just a game to him. Like, it's, just, it's a fun game, and there's only one winner in the whole, uh, I am the son of Ricky Bobby. And I, so we, my dad took off, and... I, I lost him at some point in Knoxville with some of that traffic. And I thought, well, at least I have the car behind me. And I looked in my rear view mirror and I didn't recognize the cars behind me. And I realized I was on my own at that point. So all of my friends were like, hey, this is awesome. We can't find our parents. We're on our own. I was like, is it, is it really awesome? Like, who has money? Raise your hand. You know, that was, then it was not awesome because we were realizing we're broke. We don't have debit cards. There were not cell phones all around as they are now. Uh, there were bag phones, but we did not have one of those. But I'd seen them on television, and I, we did not have any way to communicate. So you start thinking through, I could go to the police station and say, I'm lost, help me find my daddy, or, which wasn't gonna happen. I, I could go on to Gatlinburg, I can read signs. I was a pretty mature kid. I was like, I can do this, so I can get there. Hopefully, we don't have to pay for anything along the way, but I can get to Gatlinburg, I can figure that out. But I started thinking as I was driving, like, what about my dad? Because what does he think is going on right now? Because I am, because of my carelessness, it's kind of him, but anyway, part of my carelessness 
We are disconnected. And ultimately, I'm going to be hopeless. So I can get to Gatlinburg. I don't know the name of anywhere we're staying. I don't know what. There, there's more than a cabin in Gatlinburg. Like there's a lot of places that they could be. I thought, you know, I, there's really only one solution. As I'm flying down the interstate at 70 miles an hour trying to plan, I like, I got to pull over and just let my dad come find me. Because if I know my dad, he's going to find me. And so I started thinking, what is he thinking? And I thought, what does he think I'm thinking? Because that, that's really the big question. Because he's now eventually going to look in his rearview mirror and say, where's my son? And so I pull over, hit my hazards, all my friends yelling, saying, just go, just go. I was like, no, listen, I don't know where he is. I know that our ability to survive is based on us connecting there. So I'm gonna sit here and trust that he cares enough to come find me. And about 20 minutes later or so, the car pulled up behind me, slowed down on the interstate, flashed the, uh, the, his, uh, his high beams. I thought, that's him. He went by, he didn't stop. He just looked and gave me this look like, <laughs> I got it and pulled out and again. And you know, an hour and a half later, or whatever it was, we pulled into our, our cabin. But I wasn't trying to mess stuff up. I just got really confident. After four or five hours of going, I was doing well. I didn't need anybody. I'm plenty grown. I know what to do if I have a blowout. I know what to do if I have car trouble. I know what, I can figure all this out. But ultimately, without him, I was going to find myself in a spot that I couldn't get out of. And for some of you, life has not been mountain after mountain or obstacle after obstacle. It's just, you've kind of made it. You made good decisions along the way. The bad ones didn't bite you like they might have bitten, uh, bitten, what word? Bitten other people. Abide, biting, whatever. Uh, had, had bitten other people and you found yourself, oh, I got this. I'm okay. But what you didn't know the whole time was there was just a slow drift happening. And then when you get to that moment where you really need to see the power of God come through and rescue your child or rescue your bank account or rescue your job or rescue your friendships or give you wisdom, you're having to get to know God all over again because it's been so long and there's so much distance. So sometimes we're not seeing the impossible become possible in our lives. We're not seeing resurrection power happen in our lives because there's just distance. And Jesus said 2,000 years ago, before he even died, he said, I'm going to be leaving you, but understand I am your power source. I have to stay connected to my Father. I have voluntarily put my glory on the shelf for a while to walk in your shoes, to be on this earth, to submit myself to the Father's will. I have to stay connected, and you need to have that understanding of abiding in me, of remaining close. But if it's not disbelief and it's not distance, there's one more thing I want us to consider. Because even when we've done all of that, sometimes God's plans still are different. And I believe that's because of design. Sometimes God has a plan that is different than what makes sense to us. We all think we would rule the world differently if we were God. There's not a single one of us that can look back at life and say, eh, I think he's done a pretty good job. Like, I, I think I would do all those things. In a moment of honesty, we would all say, oh, I would have never done that. I would have never given him that. I would have never put that together. I would have never have allowed that. I would have always healed that. I would have never allowed that to be an issue. We all have thoughts about how things 
should have gone. And most of it's because we can't see the design behind it all. And there are times when we just don't get it. We don't understand why he's doing what he's doing, but he has a plan. And I want you to know that you're not alone. Even Jesus himself experienced this. On his last night before he was separated from his followers in Matthew chapter 26, he's going away by himself to pray. And it says, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Father, if this is possible, now he knew all things were possible. In fact, if you go back a few chapters, you'll find where someone else went to Jesus and said, if it's possible, would you do this? And Jesus looked at him and smirked and said, if it's possible, like there is real sarcasm dripping all through it. And Jesus said, if it's possible, everything is possible for the one who believes. And now Jesus is on his face before his father saying, if it's possible, father, I would like to do this a different way. I don't wanna die this way. I don't wanna do this. But then he went on in verse 42 and he said, my father, if it is not possible, he's still praying, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. If this is the only way, if this is the only way that we, have, we are able to provide salvation, if this is the only way that we're able to accomplish this, then I will do it. But I, I just, I don't want to do this. And ultimately, he submitted to the will of his father. And sometimes God just has a different plan. And it's hard to accept. It's hard to understand. And just like every one of you have done or will do, I've sat on the edge of a hospital bed and said, God, please, not now. And watched God say, I, I've got a different plan. I'm not doing this as punishment. I'm not doing this because you don't believe. I'm not doing this because you're far away from me. I'm just doing something different now. And you've got to trust me in this. And it is so hard. And I don't know what miracle you're needing God to bring about in your life today. But pray with expectation, believe with hope, but then ultimately trust as you wait. Just trust him. And it's hard to do but you're trusting in his character and his heart, not in what he's going to do. You're trusting in him. Over 20 years ago, I was interviewing with someone about a job in Clarksville, Tennessee, and thought, I don't know, I think it'd be a good place to live, and sat down with this guy who was potentially going to be my uh, supervisor or boss. So we began to talk about life and what we could do and what his plans were and what he felt like my gifts and talents were, that kind of thing. And I will never, ever forget that conversation. It was so important to me. He looked at me and said, I don't know what I want you to do. I have a few actual openings on my team. I don't know what I want you to do, but I just know that I believe in you and I, I wanna work with you. I said, to do what? He said, I don't know, but I believe in you and I want you on the team. I would have done anything for that man anything at all. And when he passed about 10 years later, his body gave in to cancer. I remember hearing about the diagnosis and thinking, Lord, this can't be. You, this doesn't happen here. There's so many other lives to affect. And I still don't understand all of that. But I do remember my moment with him 
And ultimately, he changed my life by just saying, I don't know what I want you to do, but I know I believe in you. And I believe that's what some of you need to do today. You've been asking and asking and asking and asking God to do stuff and to fix stuff and to bring about stuff and to move stuff. And maybe you just need to stop and say, God, honestly, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. I don't know what I want you to do. But I know I believe in you. So I'm asking, I'm putting it out there, but I'm gonna trust in you as I wait. I'm gonna trust in you no matter what happens here. Let's pray together. Father, we are a group of people, we're a family of people who believe in a resurrected Jesus who can do all things and all things are possible now, yet we also know as we look around at our own individual lives, there are relationships that are beyond repair. There are opportunities that seemingly are never going to come back again. There are diagnoses and there are uh, struggles and fears that we have that seem impossible to cure or to take away. But no matter what, God, you are still the God of the resurrection and you are a God who can. And whether or not you will remains to be seen by us, but we trust you. So Lord, we want to be honest and we want to present the things that are burdening us and holding us down and scaring us or intimidating us or whatever the thing may be. We're gonna be honest. We're gonna put it out there. We're gonna trust in you. And then Lord, if you choose to say, I'm gonna do something different, then we have to trust your heart in this. We have no other way of understanding what's going on. So God, for those who have struggled with belief, I pray that you'd draw them in today. For those who have drifted away from you and have no idea how desperately they're gonna need your power just in the coming weeks, I pray before they get to that point that you would draw them close to yourself today. And God, for those who have done all of that and they're still waiting, God, give us the ability to trust you even when we can't see you to pursue your heart even when we can't see your hand, to believe, to believe that you are going to bring about your plan, your best plan, your ultimate design, even in the face of questions and fears. And God, for anyone in this place who's not a follower of Jesus, I pray that this is the moment they call out to you. And they say, Lord, I give you all of me. I don't understand you. I don't know a whole lot about you but I know enough to know I want to follow you.